0: India recently surpassed China to become the world's largest country in population terms. India has also made headlines by refraining from supporting the Western or American position on the Russian invasion of Ukraine, despite being a member of the so-called Quad, the quadrilateral, quadrilateral security dialogue that brings together Australia, India, Japan, and United States to talk about security issues in the Pacific region. On Ukraine, India has consistently abstained from all seven rev- resolutions at uh, UN bodies. It has refused to condemn Russia for the invasion. It has declined to join the West's sanctions against Moscow, and it has stepped up buying Russian fuel and other commodities at a discounted prices. Despite its ties to the Quad, India also participates in other groupings, such as the BRICS, which recently, of course, had its own meeting uh, and maintains a stance generally regarded as an alternative to Western hegemony. So what's going on in India Welcome to International Horizons, a podcast of the Ralph Bunch Institute for International Studies that brings scholarly and diplomatic expertise to bear on our understanding of a wide range of international issues. My name is John Torpy and I'm director of the Ralph Bunch Institute at the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. We're fortunate to have with us today uh, Upendra Chowdhury, who is professor of international studies in the Department of Political Science, at Aligarh Muslim University in the state of Uttar Pradesh. Professor Chaudhry received his PhD in political science from New Delhi's Jawaharlal Nehru uh, Nehru University in 2000, the year 2000, with a dissertation on India's ballistic missile program. He is author of the book, Nuclear Risk Reduction Measures in South Asia, Problems and Prospects, which was published by Manohar Publications of New Delhi in 2006. He writes widely in the scholarly and popular press in India, and Professor Chowdhury has also served often as an advisor to the Indian government on educational and political issues. Thank you for joining us today, Upendra Chowdhury. Thank you, Professor John. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks. Thanks for taking the time to do this. So I noted in my introduction that India is playing a seemingly, uh, not seemingly, a contradictory role in foreign affairs. Uh, As we might say here in the United States, it seems to be playing both sides of the fence. I mean, in some sense, that's the major theme I think that we want to get into this uh, during this conversation. But what, what, what would you say is going on? Yeah, uh, yeah, Professor John. thank you for the nice
1: question, you know, uh, you know, in India, particularly, we don't use this uh, word called sitting in the fence, you know, free rider. So these are highly subjective and, you know, very validated terms. In fact, in, in, in particularly so far as India's foreign policy is concerned, you know, we always think that, you know, there is—it's uh, not true that there are only two sides of a conflict. You know, there can be three sides also, and you know, if, uh, we don't particularly accept this—that you know, there are you know these kind of binaries are there. You know, this side or that side. Yeah, India always gives importance to the third view or third alternative, right? If two are fighting or two camps are fighting. That doesn't mean, you know, everybody should follow this block A or block B. Rather, you know, India always thinks that there is a need for a, you know, a country or a block that can play a very, you know, a stabilizing role for maintaining international peace and security. If you look at the India's foreign policy for the last 70 years, you will find that India always believed that, you know, and always also rejected that, you know, the Cold War logic that either you are with us or you are against us, right? And India proved that through its non-alignment policy uh, Foreign policy. So, uh, in my view, you know, we, uh, you know, particularly in India, uh, you know, doesn't accept this that you know, uh, you know, uh, either you are in this side or you are in that side. Rather, India thinks that it plays a very positive kind of role, you know, stabilizing kind of role. Uh, so, far as its foreign policy is concerned. Uh, if you look at uh, the U.S. foreign policy, you know, particularly, you know, I particularly personally think that you know. It has become very difficult for the USA policymakers to understand India's non-aligned policy. And they always think that, you know, it's a kind of fence hitting. So, uh, you know, India doesn't accept this kind of view. Rather, it thinks that it plays a very positive kind of role. If there are conflicts between two sides,
0: you need a third side to play a stabilizing and peaceful role. Yes, I mean, I can certainly understand that. But I guess part of the issue is that it increasingly seems as though... We're uh, facing a kind of, if you like, a new Cold War kind of situation in which, you know, you're either on one side or the other. You're either on the American or the Western side or you're on the uh, Chinese side, I think, primarily. And, uh, you know, uh, that's it seems to me increasingly the way this, uh, you know, the world situation is being viewed by the two major players now you could say that india is you know increasingly a major player but it's not really in the same league just yet it seems to me as the united states and china so 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 india in a way seems like a kind of a swing state uh, a term i heard um, john Eikenberry use in an interview the other day which i had not heard before um that is to say, it's a state that you know will side with one side in on certain issues, and and the other side, you know, assuming there are such things as sides, as you say, uh, India will you know will side with one side at certain times and the other side at other times. I mean, is that basically what you're saying? Is is India is a kind of a swing state and can't you know, be expected to necessarily have this, you know, um, unidirectional sort of view of the world situation and and has different interests in different contexts?
1: Yeah, you can say India is a swing state, but, you know, that not in a very opportunist sense. Uh, Suppose I would give one instance that India, uh, you know, is a member of Shanghai Cooperation Organization, it's a member of BRIC country, you know, BRIC uh, uh, group, it's also a member of Quad and I2U2. But you know, they you know, by becoming a member of this, you know, it seems that they are quite you know, contradictory groups or different groups with the different objectives. But if you go to the deeper, you will find that you know they, they serve lots of interest, including the interest of international community. You know, if India is a member of SEO. Shanghai cooperation organisation you know it, it it is there to uh, you know not to allow russia to 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 be very close to china and secondly it is it is there in shanghai cooperation organisation because it has a lot of interest in sen- central asian countries and india also believes that if it is a member of uh, uh, shanghai cooperation organisation it can counter its advers- adversaries like pakistan and china so, if India is a member of Shanghai Cooperation Organization, in a way it serves a very stabilizing kind of role because you can, you can counter China because China has always a very kind of, you know, it, it, it always tries to, you know, play an important role in Asia and it also tries to manipulate the, the kind of order that, that we are planning to have in Asia. So, if India is there in the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, it is in a way to counter, you know, China and also you know, not to allow the Central Asian countries or even, you know, uh, have some kind of leverage for Russia not to be closely aligned with China. If it is a member of BRIC, you know, uh, you will also find that, you know, India thinks that, you know, if India is not in the BRICs, then that BRICs will be manipulated by China, which are the very imperialistic kind of, you know, thinking about the current world order that it, it although it believes in a multipolar world, but it believes that, you know, that multiple world should be with Chinese characteristics. So in order to counter this kind of hegemonic Chinese interest, so India is a member of uh, SEO and BRICS. At the same time, India also believes that, you know, if it is there in SEO and BRICS to counter uh, the, the, the total totalitarian China, at the same time, it is also a member of Quad and I2U2 where it is aligned with democratic countries like japan like united states like australia and because they all share the vision to make the asia pacific or indo-pacific what you call now you know a a stable kind of order where there is no domination by china and you know there is a lot of uh, freeness for trade for maritime security for humanitarian uh, disaster related activities so basically India is in, in, in the SEO to counter uh, you know China, in the BRIC to, to, to not to allow the BRIC forum to be manipulated by China. At the same time, India also serves a lot of interest to the democratic countries like United States, you know, Australia and Japan. So it seems from the surface that these, uh, you know, India's membership in these organizations are somehow contradictory. But if you go to the deep, you will find that they are not actually contradictory. Rather, these all, you know, forums, they are are—they—they they are there and India is a member of all these forums, not to allow these forums to be to be turned as a, as a anti-Western group, as the Chinese are trying to do.
0: Right. So, I mean, you know, all the discussion of China reminds me of, uh, you know, something that we talked about talking about before and namely, uh, you know. India's particular interest in regard to the Ukraine, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, in the matter of national sovereignty. And I mean, China, uh, India and China share a border for, uh, you know, a certain stretch of the border. Uh, And there's, you know, there are border disputes between India and China. And India has traditionally been a strong supporter of Uh, you know, the idea of national sovereignty, uh, in part, as a result of this background. So are you, you know, surprised or puzzled that they haven't been more critical of the Chinese with regard to the, you know, its support for the uh, for the Russian invasion of Ukraine? Or is that just sort of one of the kinds of things that India takes in stride, given its kind of swing state Position in these discussions.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, India has been very consistent about its position in the United Nations so far. As the Russia-Ukraine war is concerned, you know, it has although it abstained from any kind of resolution that was that that condemned Russia, but at the same time, India also you know played an important role in 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 uh, you know pressing the United Nations to. To invite Zelensky, uh, uh, no, uh, the president of uh, Ukraine, to to address the United Nations Security Council and General Assembly by video link, and it also uh, you know provided uh, humanitarian. It was one of the first countries to provide humanitarian assistance to Ukraine, and at the same time, it also condemned Russia for for the Bucha killings. And you'll also you know uh, find it interesting that the Indian Prime Minister who. Meets uh, you know Putin annually through through Russia India dialogue. He 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 even did not go to Russia to to meet Putin because Russia was threatening uh, to attack Ukraine through nuclear weapons. So you know India is always trying to balance its position vis-a-vis uh, Russia and Ukraine. You know if if uh, you know if you look at the initial stages of the war, you find about twenty two thousand five hundred Indian students were in Ukraine it needed the support of both russia and ukraine to 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 evacuate those students so a country which has a lot you know lots of interest in in ukraine and russia you know it cannot immediately be you know critical of all these uh, you know all these two countries because the united states wanted to uh, you know impose sanctions or take a position against russia and secondly if you look at the sanctions you will find that you know india was not consulted by the West or particularly the United States while imposing sanctions. India always imposed, you know, India always opposed the unilateral sanctions by any countries. If the sanctions are imposed by the United Nations, India would have been happy to follow it. But but there is a, you know, feeling in India that, you know, you, know, you cannot unilaterally impose the sanctions and expect other countries to fall in line. And if you don't do that, then you, 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 you argue that you are a fence-sitter or a free rider so that is india's perception but behind the scene india is also playing a very stabilizing kind of role vis a vis the russia ukraine conflict is concerned you know when in uh, september 20, uh, uh, 2022 you know there was a black sea grain deal uh, then uh, you know with the mediation of turkey and the united nations india was the country that played a, a behind the kind of scene kind of role in persuading Russia to respect that grand deal, and even uh, the Delhi G20 summit, you know, India is trying to, uh, you know, m- play a major role in in coming with a consensus document that takes into account the the Western, uh, you know, arguments vis-a-vis the Chinese and Russian arguments. So you need a kind of uh, you know mediator uh, country, or uh, you need a kind of stabilizing force. You know, if everybody is fighting with everybody, you need at least a country that can play a peaceful role a a kind of role that is really stabilizing for the world order so that is basically India's position and India you know the Indian prime minister he talked to uh, the Ukraine president he has talked to the uh, American president on the Russia Ukraine war he talked to the Russian president and you know when Russia was uh, you know using, you know, uh, uh, kind of, you know, uh, Russia was attacking the uh, important nuclear plant in uh, uh, Ukraine. Then, you know, it was India that uh, discouraged and that pressurized Putin not to use nuclear weapons, or even, threat uh, you know, use the threat of nuclear weapons against Ukraine. So these things, you know, these these things are not known. And India doesn't like to advertise its peaceful kind of role that it is playing between Russia and Ukraine so you know that you know so mm-hmm. india is a country you know that that is that is basically you know not you know uh, uh, advertising for its kind of role that we are doing look we are doing this we are doing that so that that's it, it's whatever it's doing it's a doing uh, kind of role that is that is you know peaceful that is in a way stabilizing and india is also uh, supporting this argument that you know uh, for example you know Russia's annexed uh, Ukrainian territory India has not accepted that annexation of uh, territory by Russia you know Russia has taken Crimea India has, India has not recognized that so we have to accept this also India condemned Russia for its Bucha killings so and India abstained when Russia tried to you know use a resolution for humanitarian crisis in Ukraine so these the world must know these kind of roles also if India is abstained on American or West-led UN resolution, that is, that is publicized. Uh, but if India is abstained uh, or condemning Russia or Indian Prime Minister even talk to Putin that, you know, today is not, you know, today's era is not a kind of war which you are using to alter the boundaries. So India, in many ways, uh, respected the territorial sovereignty and you know uh, sovereignty of Ukraine.
0: Right. So I mean, maybe what might my- be helpful is for you to talk a little bit about, you know, India's kind of self-understanding in in the current context. I mean, this, you know, moment when India s- seems to have surpassed in population terms, you know, its neighbor China, which, you know, is powerful in other ways besides demographic ways, uh, you know, in economic terms and military terms in ways that you know, arguably, India hasn't entirely attained at this point. Um, And so, you know, one wonders as an outsider and a non-expert, you know, what exactly is going on in India in terms of its self-understanding? And it's, you know, I mean, obviously, to talk about a country with 1.4 million people, you know, having any specific aspiration is, you know, perhaps a little absurd, but uh, maybe you could talk about what you think the Indian population wants to see as far as, you know, where the country is going to go in the future. I mean, you know, in general, the kinds of developments that we're talking about, including, for example, BRICS, Uh, is, you know, a kind of sense that American power is in relative decline. Um, You know, everybody was looking at China until pretty recently when concerns about the economy and about the, you know, age structure of the population began to become more prominent and that sort of thing. So, you know, how does India see its future uh, in the coming, you know, decades
1: Okay, Uh, you know, as far as India's future international role is concerned, you know, there are three kinds of debate, domestic debate in India. You know, the first, you know, debate revolves around this, those who argue that strength respect strength and power respect power. So, they argue that India should acquire, you know, military capability, economic capability, you know, scientific capability, space capability. You know, India should acquire all dimensions of what we call comprehensive national power so that... You know, it will be respected both by the United States, Europe, you know, you know, China, Russia, everybody. So because everybody respects, you know, power, you know, if you look at India's nuclear test, you know, before uh, 1998 nuclear test, India was not taken very seriously by the United States. So once it conducted the nuclear test, you know, it was taken seriously by the, by the United States. So there is a argument that, you know, since power respects power and strength respects strength, so India should try to acquire more and more power. And for acquiring that power, if it needs the friendship and, the, you know, uh, and, and cooperation with the United States, that is perfectly fine. So this is one school of argument. The second school thinks that, you know, India should not you know, aspire for power because, you know, we, we argue that in international politics, we argue that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So if you look at the history of uh, rising powers, you know, once you, have, you, you acquire power, you become more arrogant right you you always engage in you know uh mad mutual destruction you always accumulate more and more nuclear weapons then you spend a lot of money to destroy those nuclear weapons they, you know you, you 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 become arrogant you uh, engage in arms race you you go for all kinds of alliances so that shows that if you become more powerful you will be more arrogant so that is the second school and and they conclude that you know if you want to really have a mark so you should be uh, you know be a good power you should be a benevolent power rather you should start to, you know you should give uh, others example you know that is the power of your example and instead of focusing on international you know relations and acquiring more and more power rather you should focus on india's domestic challenges so you know, poverty unemployment malnutrition there are, there are so many problems so second school argues that you know instead of a, a acquiring more and more power rather you should you should focus on internal challenges and you you do uh, a uh, do play an international role that is that is definitely you know uh, a stabilizing kind of role but at the same time, you you address the uh, you know domestic challenges. There is also a third school that that believes that you know the whole concept of India as a rising power is, is, is just a Western construct. You know they they want to take advantage of India's uh, you know, big market. You know they want to uh, get India's cooperation in in containing China. So there is a third view. But if you look at the current Indian government's uh, policy position, you will find that you know. India is giving a lot of importance to acquiring national the uh, you know comprehensive national power and at the same time, India thinks that, you know, it is is it it is not just, you know, a country uh, you can uh, limit it to a swing state. Rather, India consider itself as a pillar of international, you know, uh, uh, security, international peace. So it it consider it as a unique sense of entitlement, you know, because of its unsensibilization, because of its, uh, you know, rule as a Vishwaguru. So what you can think is, you know, basically those who... Argue in this line, they, they focus that India should acquire power, but at the same time, India should also be concerned about the domestic challenges. And at the same time, India's perception of you know, India is in favor of a multipolarity. And if you look at the United States, China, and India, there's a lot of difference on, on this multipolarity. You know, if you look at America, you know, America is in favor of a unipolar world and a multipolar Asia, right? and if you look at the chinese you will find that chinese are in a, in favor of a multipolar world but unipolar asia dominated by the chinese but india is a country that that looks and supports a multipolar world with multipolar asia so india uh, doesn't think that you know the world should be bipolar the one should be, the world should be unipolar rather india consider itself as one of the important poles of this multipolar world and india is also a supporter of the, the current liberal international order because india the the only question is you know be, india thinks that it is not getting the kind of justice the kind of you know stature the kind of uh, importance in the current international order because this was devised at a time when india was not even independent and the you know this uh, western order is basically uh, uh, built on on a position that gives Undue importance to many of the countries who are even, you know, uh, not at par with the current India's GDP. You know, see a country like France, see a country like UK. So they are uh, in in economic terms they are standing nowhere. But they are all permanent members of the UN Security Council. So India has a lot of grievances against the current international order. But India is not in favor of overthrowing this order. Rather, India wants to reform rather than to replace this international order.
0: Interesting. So uh, I guess one question that occurs to me in, re- uh, in reaction to what you've been saying, and that is, you know, that I, I talked in framing the last question uh, about India's size and the 1.4 mil- uh, billion people, um, but all those people don't share necessarily the same uh worldviews and you know particularly I have in mind the the religious divide with which uh Narend- Prime Minister Narendra Modi is of course uh po- problematically connected uh going back to his days as uh, uh, chief of state in I think it was Gujarat, Gujarat. Gujarat. Um, and, you know, uh, violence against Muslims that he seems to have allowed to happen or condoned. I mean, there's obviously a debate about this, but, um, you know, I guess the question is to what extent, I mean, India is famously the world's largest uh, Muslim country, even though it's, you know, a dominated.
1: Second largest second after Indonesia. So India, you know, is the right. second largest Muslim country of Indonesia.
0: I thought it was actually bigger than even than Indonesia, but okay, I stand corrected. Uh, But in any case, it has a very large uh, Muslim population, which is, you know, been historically a source of uh, division within the, you know, Indian uh, state. So, uh, you know, how does that play out? How does that affect India's uh, stance in regard to world affairs and the international order?
1: Yeah, thank you for your question. You know, India, it's basically a very diverse country in terms of language, in terms of culture, in terms of religion, and India has always been a federal country, right? In terms of, you know, not I'm not talking of political federalism, rather, you know, if, if you look at different cultures, different languages, different regions, India has always believed in Salad, what we call Salad Baal approach, right? So every culture should be there, every religion should be there, and India, India was basically, Trying to, you know, in India, it's not just a geographical kind of thinking, you know, it's a kind of psychological, uh, you know, thinking that, you know, all cultures should flourish, all languages should flourish. And India was federal, India is federal, and India's future lies with a federal kind of arrangement. You know, it's not a question of Muslims, Hindus, Christians, or or, uh, Sikhs, rather all, you know, if if India wants to play a larger international role, it should unite, the the, the the diverse cultures you know diverse you know uh, religions uh, if you just favor one one culture one religion over the other you know in that way india is not going to play any important kind of role so you know if you know there are aberrations there are uh, short term problems but you know if you look at india's history if you look at india's culture india has always been you know a kind of uh, federal arrangement for for the prosperity, for the benefit of all cultures, all religions, and India acted as a glue. Uh, when, if you look at the India-China war in 1962, or India-Pakistan war in 1960, uh, you know, 5 or 1971 even the kargil war of 1999 you will find that all indian indians despite their religious differences cultural differences uh, regional differences they got united and one interesting example i would cite i think most of the people outside india may not be knowing that you know india is a country of uh, of uh, of uh, you know 1.4 billion or 140 crore people 1. 1.4 billion uh, you know people but and, and the 80% of the population are Hindus. But if you look at India's you know, democracy, you will find that at time, India, despite being a you know a Hindu-dominated country, you can say 80% of the population was Hindu. One time, the, the Prime Minister was a Sikh who was, was not a Hindu. The President was a Muslim. And the lady who was more powerful than the Prime Minister was a Christian. I'm talking of Sonia Gandhi. I'm talking of Manmohan Singh I'm talking of Abdul Kalam A. P. J. Abdul Kalam. So what I'm trying to say is, you know, that that only happened in India. You know, eighty percent of the people are are Hindus, but you know, at a time you find one Christian lady was was controlling the the the, uh, the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister himself was from a Sikh community, a minor community or a minority community in India, and the President was from from the Muslim community so india had that kind of you know given that kind of example but yes i agree that in case india wants to play larger international role you know it has to you know uh, be a multicultural multi you know uh, religious uh, country you know you can't impose anything or you have to take care of each community's legitimate needs legitimate uh, you know grievances and and you should address those grievances within the framework of indian constitution
0: well, there's no question that India is a complicated and fascinating place, and we're going to have to keep an eye on it in the years to come to see where it goes in, in these various respects. And I really appreciate your insights. Uh, that's it for today's Oh, episode. I want to thank Upendra Chaudhary for sharing his insights about Indian politics and foreign policy in the contemporary world. Look for us uh, on the New Books Network, and remember to subscribe and rate International Horizons on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I want to thank Osvaldo Mena Aguilar for his technical assistance, as well as to acknowledge Duncan McKay for sharing his song, International Horizons, as the theme music for the show. This is John Torpey saying thanks for joining us, and we look forward to having you with us for the next episode of International Horizons. Thank you, John. Thank you for being here for